just an old rejected relic on the auction block they decided to throw me Auctioneer asked who will take her. The room grew quiet and still till a stranger stepped forward and he said, I will. If you I love it when Jenny sings before my message. I don't always get my heart's desire, but I love it when all of them sing. Or we get a piano solo by Gloria. That's always a blessing, too. But it is special when Jenny sings, and it's such a great song because if you knew me before I knew Jesus, that's a different person. That's the old Dean. That's the old you. That's over. It's done with. It's, it's past. He's given us a new life. And that's the wonderful thing about it. We're part of God's family now. We're God's kids. We have a relationship with him. And the Bible says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. And such we are. 
And if you're here today and you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. And if you don't yet know him as Lord and Savior, you're outside the family, but you don't have to be. You can join the family of God today. You can be saved and have everlasting life, and you can know him in a special way. He went and chose us before the foundation of the world, and he invites us to come and accept him as our Savior. Jenny sang in the words of that song, it's so beautiful. Nobody would have taken us. Nobody wanted us. Jesus wanted us. And he loved us unconditionally, just like we were. And yet he doesn't want to leave us as we are. He wants to save us, give us a new life, and a new relationship with him. Let's just open in a word of prayer. Father, we're so thankful that we can sing about this wonderful story, about how you saved us and gave us eternal life. None of us deserve it, Lord, but we're thankful that you chose us and you saved us and you gave us life. And we pray, Lord, as long as we're here on this earth, that we will live for your glory and draw near to you and be a blessing to others. Lord, please hide me behind the cross and may the words spoken be your words today and may they touch lives. And so we commit this time to you and thank you. In Jesus' wonderful and precious name, amen. You know, the story is told about a father. Maybe he was a single father, I don't know, but he was the father who had two boys, two sons. And he said, sons, I'm going to drop you off at the mall today, and I want you to pick out some new school clothes and get ready, because school is starting. And school just started not that long ago around here as well. And so he had two boys. One was Johnny, and one was Billy. So he said, I'm going to be back around 3 o'clock and pick you up. Great, Dad, great. So they both went off into the mall to shop. Well, Johnny shopped around a bit, and he bought three pairs of pants, four shirts, and a pair of tennis shoes. Billy came to the car with one t-shirt and a brand new expensive skateboard. His dad asked Billy if he was sure he had enough clothes for school. No problem, Dad, he said. But before the first day of school, Billy wore a gaping hole in his old tennis shoes by using his foot to stop his new skateboard, right? Kids can relate to that. So he went to his dad and he says, Dad, look at my shoes. There's a big hole in them. I can't wear them to school like that. He says, Billy, follow me. So he took him into the garage. He got out the duct tape and he taped over those shoes and made them with a duct tape. And you know, if you've ever seen that duct tape, it's like a gray color, right, on top of the white shoe. And it's not going to look that great, right? But he said, you're going to wear those shoes to school. And so Billy had to endure the embarrassment of wearing those taped up tennis shoes to school for one whole month until he earned enough of his allowance to be able to buy a new pair of shoes. And I thought, wow, isn't that amazing how a father disciplines his sons, and yet we have a heavenly father who disciplines us in a much greater way than any earthly father can. Because God has an unconditional love for us. He wants the best for us. He doesn't want us to fail. He doesn't want us to sin. He doesn't want us to go outside of his will and do things that are not right. So sometimes what he has to do is he has to bring discipline into our lives. We need it. I need it. We all do. At some times in our life, we need his discipline. And his discipline is good for us. It really is good for us. Now, maybe at the time, Billy didn't think it was so good as he's wearing those tennis shoes around with the, with the duct tape. But he learned his lesson. 
And in that, mo in that puppet show we had on Friday night, we see a little boy that learned his lesson too. Remember, Zach? He was helping his father and his mother at the Zanzibar Zoo and taking care of the animals, and he didn't do very well. In fact, he left the cages open of all the animals, and all the animals got away, and they all escaped out. And then he had to admit to his dad and mom, it was my fault. I didn't close the cage. They all escaped. So he was disciplined, right? There was discipline. And then he came, he admitted he was wrong, he got it all set straight, and then guess what? All the animals came back. And that's what God does when he forgives us. When we've gone off the path and we've gone into our own will and our own way and we feel bad about it and we're convicted and we come back, he forgives us. He loves us. He, he welcomes us back with open arms and he brings all the animals back. In other words, he, he restores us again. So we can never go too far from the Lord. There's a hymn that says, Oh, love that will not let me go. It binds my wandering heart to thee. And it does because we are like in another hymn it says, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Yet thou, Lord, hast deigned to seal it with thy spirit from above. So the title of our message today is God's Discipline in Our Lives. You know, it's funny because I was up in my office the other day, and I'm not going to mention his name, but one of the little kids came to me and he says, Dean, my mommy spanked me. I, I, said, to him, I said to him, I said this, I said, did you deserve it? He said, yes. <laughs> and sometimes we deserve God's chastening. We deserve his discipline too. But you know what? I use it as a teaching moment. I said, you know what? I'm afraid I was going to say his name, but anyway, you know what? I said, <laughs> I said sometimes God has to spank us as, as adults, too, when we get out of line, spiritually. So I use it as a lesson, because God uses it as a lesson. He, he says he's our Heavenly Father, we're his children, just like we have earthly fathers, and we're the earthly children, and God is a perfect Father, and he knows what we need. And so the Bible is filled with men and women who learned God's discipline firsthand. And I'm going to mention a list of them because they're really interesting when you think about it. Moses was the disciplined leader. He was the leader of the nation of Israel, and yet one day he got so angry with the people of Israel, and he was supposed to speak to the rock. And what did he do? He smote the rock. He hit it so hard, and the Lord took him aside and said, Moses? Because of that, you cannot go into the promised land. Now, that seems like a severe discipline, doesn't it? For a man, Moses' stature, leader, everything like that. But God, his holiness is very important. His, to obey the Lord is very important. And so Moses could have the privilege of seeing the land, but he couldn't go in. And that's what happens when we disobey the Lord, when we get off onto our own will and our own plan. God has to restore us, but there's consequences involved many times. There was consequences for Moses. Jonah was the disciplined prophet. He was supposed to go preach to the Ninevites, and what did he do? He went the other way and got on a boat and a ship, and, and then he had to learn the very painful lesson where they threw him overboard into the water, and the great fish or the great whale swallowed him up, and then God dealt with him in, that, in the belly of the whale, in the belly of the great fish, spit him out onto the sea, and he went on to preach there in Nineveh. Jonah was the disciplined prophet. 
David was the disciplined king. One day, David decided on his own, not with any word from the Lord at all, we're going to number the people. And even his great general said, why do you want to number the people? All these men are all God's people. Why do you want to do it? Joab said. He said, no, who's the king here? I am. Go and do it. So he did it, and then God had to bring discipline and judgment on David, and it says that he gave David a choice of options on what punishment he was going to receive, and he chose to fall into the hands of a merciful God, but there was a plague that fell on the people of Israel, and many died because of David's sin on that. But God disciplined him. He was the disciplined king. And then you had Naomi. Naomi was the disciplined mother and wife who left Israel, being inside God's will because there was a famine, and she went off along with her husband and her two sons and went down to Moab and went outside God's will. God had to bring discipline. He had to chasten her, and then she brought her, brought her back. But in the midst of that time down there, her husband died and her two sons died. Heavy price going outside God's will. And so she was the disciplined one. She was a disciplined mother. And yet she said this when she came back. She said, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara, which means bitter, because the Almighty has, done, has dealt very harshly and bitterly with me. But she realized the great lesson of it, and God turned her life around like he did with each one of these and used her in a great way. John Mark was the disciplined servant who walked away from his ministry. Can you imagine having a ministry with the Apostle Paul? He walked away from it, and God had to bring discipline, and then he finally was restored, and later on Paul praises him and says, bring along John Mark, he's useful to me. God never puts us on the shelf permanently. Failure isn't final. He can always restore us and always use us, and he did in that case. And there's case after case in the scriptures of that. Well, today we're going to look at three things briefly. First of all, the reaction that we have to God's discipline. And Ed's going to put it up on, this, on the screen. So he'll, he'll put it up there. And this is Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 5 to 11. Let's read it first before we give out the uh, points here. Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 5 through 11, and then we'll put up the points on the screen. Hebrews 12 and verse 5. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, all of which have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we've had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them but he for our profit, that we may share his holiness, be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. May God bless the reading of his word. Ed is going to put up the points now that we're going to look at. They begin with R, and they're all found in this passage of Scripture. And when I was originally burdened about this message, I was reading in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. 
And that's where the apostle here quotes from that passage, but we're going to take this one because this gives a full and complete presentation of the subject. And so we see here God's discipline in our lives. God's discipline in our lives. And we're going to look at, first of all, the reaction to God's discipline in verses 5 and 6. Secondly, we're going to look at the relationship in God's discipline in verses 7 to 10. And then we're going to look at the results of God's discipline in verse 11. I don't know about you parents, but I'm sure you have had experience in disciplining your children. And discipline is taught in Scripture. Corporal punishment is good. Not to the point of like the football player did for the Minnesota Vikings, who beat his son really bad, and that was not good. But a good spanking is needed to correct the insubordinate child. It's very, very important to do. And God does the same thing with us as Christians. He disciplines us, not physically, but he disciplines us spiritually, and sometimes physically and emotionally and mentally as well. And so what's the first reaction we have in our flesh when we're disciplined, when we're corrected? We don't like it. I don't like it. We, we get all angry and frustrated and bent out of shape because why is somebody uh, correcting me? Why is somebody disciplining me? And when God brings that discipline into our life, that's the old way, the old nature. And we still have the old nature with us. But the new re nature reacts in a totally different way. And hopefully we will react that way. When God brings discipline, when he brings correction, what he does, he wants us to respond with a thank you, Lord. I needed that. Thank you for teaching me that. Thank you for showing me that. Thank you for directing me in the path. And sometimes God uses difficult circumstances in our life to get our attention. I was uh, sharing with Jim and Kathy this morning, and I was thinking about it, about how sometimes what God does is he starts in a very soft, gentle way. Dean, I need to talk to you about something. I need to tell you about this. This needs to change in your life soft, gentle, just a little nudge. But that didn't work for me. So God had to bring the second approach, which is a little firmer, a little bit stronger, you know, getting our attention. But if that doesn't work, he brings more drastic measures to bear. And that's why we see it in our lives. There, there's so many things that God can use to discipline us and train us. He can use difficult circumstances in our lives. He can use difficult people in our life. It might be a boss. It might be somebody in the neighborhood. Difficult people to deal with. And he also uses difficult things in our life. It may take the form of an illness or an injury. It may take the form of a loss of health or job or a number of things. And God can use those things for his glory to make us the Christians he wants us to be. So when we realize that he has a plan and a purpose for each of us, God's discipline shouldn't be something we shun, but we should accept it. And when we accept it, God uses it for the glory of God. Now, that doesn't mean that every time you lose your job or get sick or have an injury that that's God's discipline. No, it may not be God's discipline. It may be just a trial you're going through, but he still uses it. He's still a wise and loving Heavenly Father that uses those things to make us better Christians, to strengthen our faith and help us in our walk. 
This song that we sang, Search Me, O God, is based on Psalm 139 and verses 23 and 24. It's a beautiful prayer that David mentioned. And it said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. You know, if you make that a prayer, God will answer that prayer. But sometimes we don't want it. We don't want to pray, pray like that because God may show us something we don't want to hear. We don't want to deal with, right? A lot of people don't go to the doctor because they're afraid the doctor is going to tell them they have a serious health condition. Now, that's not a good thing to do because if you've got this serious health condition, right, and you don't go to the doctor, are you going to get better by like, like wishing it away? No, you've got to go to the, to the doctor. And he's our great physician. He's our loving Heavenly Father. He already knows about everything. And so when we just come to him and ask him, Lord, show me where I went astray. Show me where I went wrong. Show me what I need to do differently. Now, of course, in Job's case, the, his friends were saying, the reason you got these things happening to you, Job, is because you're sinning. No, it wasn't true. He was allowing the affliction and the suffering. It wasn't God's discipline. So it's not always, like I said, God's discipline. But the Word of God is what really works in our lives when we need it. And Mike shared these verses when we had a men's dinner recently, and it's 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says this, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. You know, God's word is profitable for, re for reproof and correction and for training in righteousness. We need it. And God's discipline in our life is not punitive. It's not punitive, but it's profitable for us because he has our best interest in mind, as I said. And the shorter our repentance time, the shorter this, this discipline is going to last. If we, if we go a long time, it can last a long time. If we come back to the Lord right away, it'll last a shorter time. And so we don't want to be like that prodigal son. And sometimes we can be that way, and the Lord has to bring us back. You notice the shepherd, the shepherd in the Old Testament cared for the sheep, right? And he had two things that he used with the sheep. He had a rod and he had a staff. The rod was used to kind of push the sheep a little bit, plod them along and everything. And the shepherd's staff had that, and he kind of gently brought them back. And that's what the Lord does with us. He gets our attention with the rod. He gets attention with the staff to bring us back. And that's how much he loves us. God loves us too much to let us go astray or go off on the world. And even if a Christian sins against God and goes off into the world, if they're truly God's child, he's going to bring them back. There's going to be a bringing back from the far off land, from the from that land of sin, and, and God is going to do it because he cares and loves for us too much not to do that. But we have to be humble, we have to be willing, and we have to accept it as from the hand of God. But sometimes what we do, another thing this old nature is real good at doing is when, when God brings his hand on our lives and we start having things happen, one of the first things we like to do is we like to find somebody else to blame it on. It's not my fault. It's my wife, it's my husband, it's my child, it's my boss, it's 
my neighbor. Everybody else's fault but mine. And then the Lord has to say, no, Dean. It's not them. It's you. And a lot of times it is, and it's our attitude toward it that needs to be adjusted. And so he does that. I like what John Newton said, and I'm sure this is the same John Newton that wrote the hymn, Amazing Grace. He said, when people are right with God, they are apt to be hard on themselves and easy on other people. So when you're right with God, you're hard on yourself and you're easy on other people. But when you are not right with God, you're easy on yourself and hard on others. Isn't that true? It's so true. I mean, these things are challenging. I mean, and I'm not preaching to anybody today except to myself. I'm preaching to myself. I learned a big lesson on this, and I'm saying, Lord, I want you to deal with me as a son. And he does. He deals with us as his children. So that's the first thing we looked at today is the reaction, the attitude toward it. It has to be right because God's love is so great and he wants to do great things for us. I found this quote, and it's Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 1. I was having my devotion this morning. I said, wow, Lord, I guess you're really speaking to me on this one. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 1. It puts it like right there. It's where the rubber meets the road. Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. I said, Lord, it's stupid. It is stupid. If we push away God's correction, who has nothing, he has nothing but our good in mind, he wants the best for us, and we shun it and, and push it away, we're stupid. We're being like wild brute beasts is how it could be rendered there. And I like what Bill McDonald has to say in his commentary because I have it right next to me when I have my devotions. I like to look up the verses. It says, anyone who is open to discipline and instruction shows that he really wants to learn. The man who resents being told to do anything and refuses correction is stupid. It's true. It's so true. So that's the first thing, our reaction to discipline. Secondly is our relationship in God's discipline. And that's a key thing here because God is our Heavenly Father. And God doesn't discipline any other children who are not His children. You know, you can imagine if a father was in a neighborhood and there were like several boys. Let's say there were three boys and they all got into trouble, bad trouble. Maybe they ended up in jail. Maybe they ended up doing something really bad. So the father goes down there and picks up his son, bails him out, brings him home. Who does he discipline? Does he discipline those neighbor kids? No, he disciplines his own son. And so too, God doesn't discipline the unsaved people. He doesn't discipline those who are not his children. He disciplines us who are his beloved children. That's how much he cares for us. And that's what's such a blessing to see how God deals with us. We've often heard that expression, tough love. Tough love. And that expression is very true. And God, in some ways, he does have a tough love. But his love is so wonderful too. And he sometimes has to be firm, but it's always to bring us back and get us to do what he wants for us and what is best for us. He's so patient. He's so patient. And there's a story told of a father who desired to teach his son some responsibility. So his son was going to go down to his friend's house and visit with his friend. And I don't know how old the boy was, but say he was about seven years old. And so the mother and father says, okay, you can go down and pray, pray with your friend, but do this for us. 
When you get there, call us and tell us you arrived safely. Now, you mothers will appreciate that, right? When the kids go, even when they're grown like my age, and we want to go off to somewhere by plane or by whatever transportation, I like to let my family know, too, that I arrived safely. I mean, what do you think if they, they don't do it? And one time I didn't do it, and I was so, I felt bad. Uh, I didn't let Sylvia know, and they didn't know where I was, and I got so stuck. But anyway, we shouldn't do it. So the boy, he goes down there and he has fun and then he doesn't call home. So the mother and father are talking, you know, we got to do something here. He's not learning his responsibility. And we told him what to do. So they told him, if you don't call us, then what you're going to have to do is we're going to come get you. You're going to have to come back home. Embarrassing, right? In front of his friend and the family over there. So he tells him. So he thinks that's going to work. It's got to work, right? So it doesn't work doesn't work. He's still, the phone is not ringing at all. So the father says, I've got to do something here. I've got to teach him responsibility. I've got to teach him a lesson. I've got to bring some discipline here to him. So he goes to get on the telephone and he says, as he's going to make, to dial the call, and this man was a Christian father, he said it was like he heard the Lord's voice saying to him, Treat him like I treat you. Wow. Treat him like I treat you. Not harshly, but in love. And so as the father picked up the phone to dial the son and the phone started to ring, he hung it up after one ring. He said, I just, I don't know what to do. I want him to be, I just don't know what to do. So a few seconds later, the phone rings and the son is on the line and he says, I'm here, Dad. And the father says, well, what took you so long to call? He says, well, we started playing and I forgot, but I heard that phone ring once and I remembered. And I thought, wow, how many times does God let the phone ring just once? Just a little bit, so we'll respond to it. So we'll respond. That's the way he loves us so much. He doesn't want to come harsh down to us. It hurts him to discipline us, but he loves us too much not to. And so it's such a blessing to know God's discipline in our lives. Yes, we want the Lord to do his work in us. And sometimes it's a surgical work that he has to do. And it's always for our good and for our betterment. And so that's our second point today. It's all about relationship. We have a heavenly father who loves us and cares for us. He loved us so much he sent the Lord Jesus Christ, his son, down to die for us on this earth to give us eternal life. And that Heavenly Father loves us so much that He wants the best for us. And it says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 32, He who spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not also with Him freely give us all things? He wants to give us all things. He wants to bless us tremendously. He wants us to grow. He wants us to please Him. But when we don't, and there's some little thing wrong, even little thing, he wants us to correct it right away. And the third thing is the third R is the result of it. And it's so encouraging in verse 11. I love verse 11. I'm going to read verses 10 and 11, actually, because to carry on the narrative, talking about earthly fathers versus our heavenly father. He says, for they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. That's his goal for us, that we might be partakers of his holiness. It says in Scripture, be holy because I am holy. 
And so he wants to develop that in us, and he knows it's not a short-term process. When you're in the school of God, you start the first day of class on the day you get saved. That's the first day. The bell rings, and you're starting in, the, in God's classroom. And that class is a long class because it may last 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, however we're here on earth. And then class ends and the bell rings when we go to glory. Either at the rapture or if we go by the way of death, class will be over. But it's a school classroom. We're in that classroom. He's our teacher by the Holy Spirit. He's working on us. He wants the best. And so it says in verse 11, Now no chastening or discipline seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Yeah, that discipline hurts a little bit. It stings a little bit, but it has to. Because if we could feel that we're somehow getting away with it, or it wasn't too bad, or I didn't have to live with any consequences, we would tend to drift and drift and drift. And God doesn't want us to drift even a little bit. He wants us to be on the straight and narrow path, like this hall here, this uh, aisleway here. Straight and narrow. Straight and narrow. Don't turn to the left. Don't turn to the right. Straight and narrow. And sometimes it's easy if we take one step to the right or one step to the left. As soon as you take that one step either way, you're off. And God doesn't want us to be off. He wants us to be on the right path. And he said, because afterward is when all is said and done, the peaceable fruit of righteousness. In other words, after you've learned from the lesson, the good result would come. Now, none of us would say, I'm so glad I went through, not necessarily, right? That hard, painful experience. But we will say this, I wouldn't trade it for the world because of what God did in my life. And we can all praise him for that. We really can. That's why it was so encouraging when we saw that puppet show, and as I was seeing it, I said, wow, that goes with the message here. This really does, because God is so good, so loving, and he disciplines us for our good. Yes, he loves us, he corrects us, he trains us. And I found a quote by Spurgeon that is so beautiful that when he's talking about the different painful experiences he had in life, he said this, he said, I'm afraid that all the grace that I have got out of my comfortable and easy times and happy hours almost lie on a penny. Little tiny penny, right? He said, but the good that I have received from my sorrows, from my pains and my griefs is altogether incalculable. What do I owe to the, what I do, I owe to the hammer and the anvil, and the fire, and the file. Affliction is the best furniture in my house. You, know, you go to somebody's house and you say, hey, that's beautiful furniture, I really love your furniture. You got beautiful taste. Well, we all like to have nice furniture, but the furniture of affliction? Mm, we don't like it, doesn't feel good, because notice in verse 11 it says, now chastening seems to be, see, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present. But God's not looking just at the present. He's looking at the big picture. He's looking at eternity. He's looking what he's going to do for us tomorrow and then in a week and a month and a year and down the line. So he's looking at it from the bright perspective and we should look at it from that way too. And when we have difficulties or problems or hardships or pain or sorrow or any of these things, God's going to use it to make us stronger and better Christians. So to conclude then, 
we have these three things that we've looked at today. Number one, we've looked at the reaction to the discipline that God brings. Don't detest it. Don't shun it. Don't despise it. Don't get discouraged by it. But realize God has a plan. He's working on us. He's working it through. He's going to bring about a good result. So our reaction should be accepting that trial, accepting that discipline from his hand. And everything, when we see it from his hand, is going to be good because we say God gave it or God allowed it. Either way, it's going to be for our good. Secondly, we have to remember the relationship of the discipline. God doesn't discipline the worldly people. He doesn't discipline them because they're not his children. There's only two types of children in the world, children of God or children of the devil. And anyone who's not saved is a child of the devil. The Bible says it, not me. It's not Dean's word. It's what the word of God says. But you don't have to stay there. He wants you to move from being a child of the devil to a child of the king. And you can do it by simple faith in Jesus Christ. Invite him into your heart. Say, Lord, I have sinned against you. I have failed in running my life. Please forgive me. I accept Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. I accept him as my Lord and Savior, and he'll save you, and he'll make you his child. But that's just then the beginning. He starts working on us. And then finally, the result of God's discipline is great because then we become partakers of his holiness, and the peaceable fruit of righteousness comes in our life, and then we'll be able to share with others who are going through similar experiences and be a blessing to them as well. So is it challenging? Definitely. Is it convicting? Definitely. Is it worthwhile? Definitely. Because I would not trade it for anything. Because he, he brings us along in the Christian life. And you notice when you first get saved, you're on this high, right? You're so happy and you're so thrilled he saved you. And God doesn't bring the big trials right away to the baby Christians, right? He lets them grow and get a little mature and then they can handle the greater trial. But as we go in life, whether we're young Christians or older Christians, mature Christians, we need God's working in our life. We need it. We need his discipline. We need his training. We need his correction because none of us are perfect. And he knows that. But still he loves us unconditionally. Unconditionally. He doesn't say, Janie, because you blew it today and you did that same thing again, again and again, again. that's it. You're not part of the family anymore. God doesn't do it. We're part of his family. When you're his child, you're part of his family. He'll never disown you. He'll never disavow you. He says, you belong to me. And sometimes he has to go and rescue us from some pretty bad things, but he does it. He says, son, you mean too much to me. I'm going to bring you back. Kathy, I love you. He loves all of us. And what a blessing it is. Before we conclude, we're just going to hear a song now, which is called Children of the Heavenly Father. And listen to the words and see the words up on the screen and think about how God loves us so much. And he's our Heavenly Father, we're his children, and then we'll close in prayer.
May the Lord help us to be his children and to draw near to him. Shall we just close in prayer? Father, we thank you that you have a love for us that we will never fully know until we get to heaven. But we're so thankful that you love us and care for us. We thank you for disciplining us, Lord. We thank you for bringing us through trials and sorrows and difficulties, not to harm us, but to, to make us stronger Christians and to increase our faith. And Lord, we pray for anyone here who's not saved, that they will accept the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior today. And just help us as believers, Lord, to rejoice that we have such a Father who will go to any extent to work in our lives and keep us in the right place. We just thank you and praise you for all you've done. In Jesus' precious name, amen. amen.